It's hard rain and slow trains. Stick around for the next hour of Bob Dylan and his fellow travelers. It's a hard. It's a hard. It's a hard. It's a hard rain. Broadcasting to you from KEPW 97.3 FM, PeaceWorks Community Radio in Eugene, Oregon, and streaming online at KEPW.org. My, one of my thoughts on this this whole tour, again, speculation, what we got to enjoy from this is really a product of the work he was doing beginning with Shadows in the Night, Fallen Angels, and the Triplicate album. That without the Sinatra and working with those kind of dynamics in the presentation of songs and the instrumentation that the, you know, without the solos and the vocals being paramount for the words, I, I think that informed and influenced the type of delivery and, and the writing of the songs that we have now. This is the way everything builds on what came before, and I think those, that, that was an important building block. Well, the singing, too, just the vocal style, right? Yeah. He didn't have that vocal style for, for years before he got to those albums. It's perhaps the single most often remarked part of this tour that everyone is saying is how strong the vocals are how moving they are, how clear they are, just using some of the adjectives that I've, I've heard from people. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's certainly got an idea and uh, the discipline to present them in a certain way, uh, to vocalize them a certain way. Today and tomorrow, yesterday too, the flowers are dying like all things do. Follow me close, I'm going to believe on it. I will lose my mind if it don't come with me. Well, I fuss with my hair and I find the refuse. I can take him out of two. the walls of people you know I'll drink to the truth and the things we said I'll drink to the man that shares you bed I paint landscapes I play nudes Blake. I'm 
no apologies to make Everything flowing All at the same time I live on the boulevard of crime I drive fast cars And I eat fast foods I can take a multitude Pretty maids and all of the old queens All the old queens From all my past lives I carry four pistols and two large knives I'm a bag of cut to do two And a many moods Business, and I do too. 
Welcome back to Hard Rain and Slow Trains, Bob Dylan and fellow travelers. It's our post-game show tonight for the Fall 2021 Tour. 
Bob Dylan's first public performances in 23 months since he last wound up a tour on December 8th, 2019 in Washington, D.C. And we started things off tonight with I Contain Multitudes from the Boston performance just two weeks ago on Saturday, November 27th. Immediately after that was a version of False Prophet from the third of Dylan's three Beacon Theater shows in Manhattan. That one from November 21st. A couple of riveting performances and stellar audience recordings. Joining us tonight for our post-game wrap-up of the tour, as he did for our pre-game episode on October 28th, is Terry Gans, author of Surviving in a Ruthless World, Bob Dylan's Voyage to Infidels. Hello. Hey, Terry. Well, welcome back to Hard Rain and Slow Trains. (laughs) Thank you. Post-fall tour. It is. Looking forward to what comes next, if anything comes next. That's the question. What do you think? Do you think he'll come out here to the West Coast or the South or something, or do you think he'll be going to Europe? I don't know. Depends on what his feelings were on how this past tour went and how he feels physically. I think certainly, were I the artist, I would be pleased with the reception that my work and especially my new work received. So we'll see. And geographically, that's up to uh, promoters and the tour packages and what's put together. Yeah, and a little bit, I guess, in the season we're in, a little bit uh, COVID as well. Yeah. And how the pandemic is in Europe. I imagine it's going to be a lot easier to get around in the States. You know, I would think so. But, you know, I think part of the package they're looking at, at least it seemed to be in the fall, that venues, that even if the states didn't require the venues, uh, would require the vaccination or and or the tests. Mm-hmm. And I would certainly think with what's going on now with Omicron that uh, that same pattern would continue and be desirable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, unlike uh, certainly unlike the fish concerts of this fall, there were several which uh, seemed to be super spreader events. You know, that was immediate news that that had happened. I haven't seen anything like that for many of these shows. Mm-hmm. No, so. no. Well, you caught at least one show, the first Port Chester show. Correct. Did you catch any others? No, I, uh, I heard a lot of the recordings. Not only were most many of the recordings very good in terms of quality, but they were so quick to be put up. Yeah. You know, I wish uh, that way back when somebody had suggested it to uh, the people that needed to be suggested to, that maybe a part of uh, Dylan's touring would be to make concert recordings available. You know, it's happening now but it's not the same as if it happened off a board or anything like that. But that's that's not a business they want to be. No, he seems to be, at least from the Jeff Rosen interview in Rolling Stone that addressed this a few years ago, it seems to be a an attitude issue where they want the performance experience to be preserved, at least by them, as a live, in-person event. Correct. Well, that's the intention of it. It's for that audience and that time only. Um, and, you know, the performer in that form of mind and, and whatever that time is. But the reality is, people want a record of these things. Mm-hmm. If it affects the artist's psyche to say we're going to officially do that, then don't do it. Do you have any favorite recordings that you've heard from this tour? Um, I like the Boston show. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I went to right to in my mind as well. It was very, very good quality. I think one of the Philly shows, the 27th, whichever one that was. Uh, and the DC show. Not that there's anything wrong with the earlier ones. I think uh, Bloomington was one of the better of the early ones. But the songs and the performances and the, the accompaniment all improved as the shows went along. 
you know, one notable example, the, the one disappointment up until the second Beacon show had been Key West. And it seemed to me that the big problem was an unfamiliarity with the lyrics and hard to get the lyrics right. And everything I say is uh, unformed speculation and supposition and my imagination. It's not, you know, that, that's it. It's my opinion. But working so hard to remember the lyrics and getting the lyrics right took away from the delivery of the song. And that's a song that has a lot of nuances in the delivery on the album. But it, it seems like from the second Beacon show on, those problems were overcome and it got stronger and stronger in performance. My favorite in performance is probably my own version of you, because the dynamics of the, the instrumentation and his delivery and the acting it out of that story just got better and better, and it's, it's, it's a very dramatic and great experience to listen to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really odd, you know, but you said, poor Chester, I was at the first show, and there haven't been any recordings I found, I found at that show, from that show. Huh. And I'm not sure why that is. Uh, you know, the floor was general admission. I was fortunate enough to be in the first row of the balcony. And the particular mix that I got up there, the piano really stood out. Hmm. And I would have liked to have heard more from that of that from the recordings. Because there was uh, a very interesting work, kind of like his lead guitar work. I, I think it was important that the, uh, you know, the band has two new people in it. Mm -hmm. You know, there were problems here and there. I think the new guitar player, Doug, yeah, he got some glares and special talking tos during the show I saw. I, I think the drummer worked all the way through. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it takes time for bands to gel. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many rehearsals they did. And these are songs that have particular uh, volumes and no real flashy solo work. The band are truly accompanists on this. You know, finding that groove took some time, too. Donnie Heron, uh, as the thing went on, started playing an accordion on Key West, which wasn't at the first couple shows. And uh, some of the mandolin work on some of the songs got, got more pronounced. If he goes ahead in the future, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'd still hope to get Crossing into Rubicon in there. Just have to imagine it in the spot of early Roman kings.
tatas and tatas. About the drummer, Charlie Drayton, mm-hmm. I just played the last of the Philadelphia concert versions from Black Rider just last week, and I can't actually remember right now, but I'm presuming that it didn't have him drumming on it. And if that is the case, does he sit up there during the performance? He was there, and I believe he played. Okay. Because I was trying to listen to see if they put in that knock that's on the mm-hmm. uh, 
on the album. Yes. Yeah. And it seemed to me there were some just very light touches. Okay. Now, I could be remembering it wrong, but uh, I don't remember them leaving the stage. What was the audience like when you were there in Port Chester? Oh, the audience in Port Chester, well, for me, it was fine and undistracted. I understand from what I read, and I didn't see it, that there was a bit of rowdiness on the floor. Hmm. People trying to get closer to the front because there were no seats. Everybody was just standing. Uh, but I didn't see it. Other than that, it was uh, a good, receptive, and responsive crowd. You've seen comments, oh, he's frail, and he has to hang on to this. And which, which I saw, uh, you know, he'd rest his right arm on top of the piano for good portions of a song, only play with the left. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much of that is actual physical, how much of that is theater. Who knows? A microphone amplified can give that part of your body strength that the other parts of the body might not have the same level. Mm-hmm. Whatever, it all worked, didn't it? Yeah. One of the things I was thinking, I wonder if this struck you when you were looking down from that balcony and watching him, is mm-hmm. with that kind of piano, that upright, yeah. I don't know if Hibbing High, back in the 50s, if they had a, a grand piano, it's Hibbing High's uh, auditorium was so impressive, I wouldn't be surprised if they did. But that just setup just seems the, perhaps the most, since his professional career approximated his his debut back at Hibbing High with the Golden Chords or whatever. Well. <laughs> You know, playing that kind of piano with some accompaniment, stepping out a little I bit. I don't know. I, you know, the, the, the choices for pianos is, uh, over the years is Baby Grand, uh, Grand and, and the, the Upright, uh, which is certainly the kind of things he played in the studio during Highway 61 from the photos we have. Um, you know, I don't know. Tonally, it's, it's, it's not the same. You know, whatever the reason, maybe it was a visibility thing. I, I don't know. Be good to find out. You gotta, you gotta get a member of the, of the production crew on the show to, to spill the beans on all these things. Yeah, if they would even know. I, maybe it's just, it might be just something that Dylan just feels that way. Like, I think I'll do this. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't toured with an upright before. Maybe, maybe I'll just use uprights. So. Probably keeps them fresh for him. I think that's a big part of it. Selection of instruments and everything serve these songs well. How are things going for your book, Surviving in a Rufus World from Red Planet? You know, someday, maybe you'd like to do a podcast of the whole thing of uh, from the beginning to the end from a writer of uh, writing a book, producing it, getting it printed, and then all the subsequent pitfalls that, that come in your place. <laughs> That's its own voyage. <laughs> it might be interesting to people for about 20 minutes. It's not just the writing that gets published and there you can buy it. There's mm. all kinds of interesting things and twists and turns. I think since we spoke last, one of the, the videos, I don't know if they were released actually as promotional videos at the time of Infidels or not, but the one that are compiled from some of the studio footage in, in Power Station. One of those appeared on Dylan's YouTube channel, am I, am I remembering correctly? Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, both uh, License to Kill and Don't Fall Apart on Me Tonight. In mm-hmm. far better quality than it circulated before. But those, you know, and those are all lip sync. That's what they were, and I don't know if they were mm-hmm. ever intended to really be a video. And there's over an hour of footage in the archives, uh, but it's all silent. Terry, I guess if it's it's silent, then am I correct in assuming that it's film instead of video? It was film, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how he's gone back and forth because the the video that appeared on that um, Trouble No More disc was clearly video mm-hmm. fairly early on with regard to the kind of video, at least uh, in the 1980-81. It's interesting that whoever was shooting it 
when 1983 rolls around, has gone back to, to film. Yeah, I really didn't think that much about that. I, I'm, my guess would be the 83 thing, that that was probably something Columbia wanted. Mm-hmm. I, and that's just a guess. And they hire, you know, the big name, uh, you know, for that that type of effort, the Maisel brothers, um, to film it, which is kind of overkill if you're going to film it silent. Mm-hmm. So, again, what the purpose was supposed to be and what it wound up being at the actual time, you know, who knows? Mm-hmm. All, all I know is what I saw, and it wasn't that big a deal, you know, other than it's there. There was one thing, you know, I know they have, and they showed in the live symposium until you were there. The video from of Dylan doing the man and me in the studio at the new morning sessions. Oh, a yeah. new morning, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah, I'm, sure. I'm pretty sure I know where that video came from. It's got a young Dave Bromberg. Yeah. In there. Got a young Bob Dylan. Yeah, it's got a young uh, Michael Chaikin, when he introduced it, he said it was a real proto early version of video. Yeah, there was a guy, and I, I can't remember his last name, but they, they referred to him as One-Legged Terry. And he was a guy who, I, I don't know if he was American or what I did, Dylan played backgammon with him a lot. And he uh, served in the Israeli Armed Forces and lost a leg in the battle. And, and Dylan, the story goes, supposedly bought him the video equipment. And there was one story when Dylan was mad at the Village Voice that they wouldn't print a letter he sent in response to something. And he went to the office with a whole crew of people to protest. And this guy was videotaping it. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure, given the time period and given that this guy had the video equipment and was hanging around with Dylan, that that's probably who shot this stuff. That's fascinating. I've never heard that story. Where did you hear that story from? Do you remember? Oh, gosh. I remember in the, you know, when the, the whole Village Voice thing came out, I think it was 71, uh, and there was an article, and they, you know, they didn't know. First, they, they just knew this rabble of people protesting showed up in their office, and then somebody notices Dylan lurking in the background. And this guy, referred to as One-Legged Terry, was videotaping him. It seems so uncharacteristic of Dylan. You know, uh, very uncharacteristic. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well. I'm, I'm having a hard time imagining him him involved in a protest against Village Voice. <laughs> you got the feeling it was kind of an impish move on his part. And you know, in this time period, he was uh, spending an hour on the time with Alan Weberman too. So he was doing a lot of odd things. Yeah. That recorded phone call yeah. with Weberman. I guess there's a couple of. That's an extraordinary document. I'm never talking to you again, Weberman. <laughs> never calling you again. Yeah. <laughs> and Weberman just plows through. <laughs> yeah. Listen, Terry, thanks for joining us on the sure. post-game kind of review of the fall tour. If he comes uh, if he comes around again, I'm so grateful I got another chance to see such a great artist in person. I didn't know if I ever would again. So it shouldn't take any urging, but I would urge everyone, if he's, if he's anywhere near your town, go check it out. Don't you dare miss it, as they used to say. Terry Gans, author of Surviving in a Ruthless World, and that is a public service announcement to take to heart. Thank you. So I'm just hoping Dylan will swing around this way. I hope so. And we get a chance so. next year, early next year, hopefully. Daniel, thank you. It's always a pleasure. Likewise. You take care. Have a good one. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye, Terry. All across the telegraph, his name, it did resound. With 20 pounds of headlines 
Welcome back to 20 Pounds of Headlines, your news from the world of Bob Dylan. Robbie Shakespeare, Jamaican bassist, has passed away at the age of 68. Shakespeare played on Dylan's Infidels, Empire Burlesque, and was just featured in Bootleg Series Volume 16, Springtime in New York, as well as in our recent episodes from September 16th and September 23rd. Waiting for spring to come, Springtime in New York's Bellow Travelers Parts 2 and 3, where we played an interview with Shakespeare and four of his own recordings made with drummer Sly Dunbar. Shakespeare passed away in a Florida hospital where he had been treated for kidney disease. Rolling Stone called Sly and Robbie sonic mad scientists. Take me out traveling, you're a traveling man. Our listener Stephen Thwaites attended the November 19th and 20th shows at the Beacon Theater in New York and wrote a lovely review. In his review, he writes that on the rockers, Dylan sang with ferocity and swagger. False Prophet was a highlight each evening. He stood to the side of the piano, bent his knees as if to add spring and tension, and roared, I'm the enemy of treason, the enemy of strife. I'm the enemy of the unlived, meaningless life. The crowd roared back. Afterwards, I wondered if False Prophet is placed too early in the set because the sheer rock energy never reached that level again. And you heard that rock energy when I played False Prophet from the third of the Beacon shows, November 21st, earlier tonight. Thwaite also writes, On the second night, before the band introductions, Bob gives a call out to New Yorkers Humphrey Bogart, Jackie O, and Al Capone, as if perhaps their ghosts are hovering nearby. Life and death in the same bed as if Jackie might be anticipating for an encore, another name check in the live debut of Murder Most Foul. But no, it's every grain of sand, as clear a statement of faith as exists in the man's catalog. It's performed as if we are all standing fireside. And you know that he knows that we know, that talking 2024 is all well and good, but this might be it. This might be the last song Bob Dylan plays on stage, on the last night he gives himself to us. So he wants to say what he believes. And what he believes is that there is a perfect finished plan. You can read all of Thwaites' review, plus many other fantastic articles, over at his Traveling Man blog at takemeouttraveling.blogspot.com. With Dylan's final show of the year last Thursday in Washington, D.C., Dylan is now off the road, and we are awaiting news about possible spring dates, which probably won't be announced until after the new year. Also off the road after a month of sleuthing is Hard Rain and Slow Train's intrepid reporter, Miss Lucy, who pulled into the station last night to offer her conclusions. Well, Miss Lucy... What have you got to share? Information is currency, Dan. In the gig economy, that's true more than ever. Hard rains and slow trains will compensate you for your reporting, Miss Lucy. You said that last time, Dan. Checks in the mail, you said. Well, I went to go mail it, Miss Lucy, but the mailbox was locked. I see what you did there. Dylan concluded his 21-day leg of the Rough and Rowdy Ways Worldwide Tour 2021-2024. to 
After the second show of the tour, the set list remained fixed with the same 17 songs, which were almost all drawn from either his newest album, Rough and Rowdy Ways, or his concert film, Shadow Kingdom. The only exceptions were Early Roman Kings, Gotta Serve Somebody, Melancholy Mood, and Every Grain of Sand. With 19 of the 21 concerts having the exact same set list, that is tied for the fourth longest stretch of Dylan concerts with the same set lists since Dylan resumed touring in 1974. Why are you using 1974 as a start point and not 1964? A lot of Dylan's 64, 65, and 66 concerts had the same set lists. True, but Mr. Tambourine only went back to 1974. Wait, you're using Mr. Tambourine's information? And you expect to get paid, Miss Lucy? My hands are clean! Mr. Tambourine said I could share the info. Okay, we are all in this together, after all. Some of us, anyway. On to the historical context of this 19 concert streak with the same set list. The longest stretch with the same set list since 1974 is a 36 concert streak from November of 2014 to April of 2015. The second longest stretch of an unaltered set list is 31 concerts long and goes from October 24th, 2019 to December 8th, 2019. The third longest stretch is 24 concerts and ran from November 27th, 1979 to February 1st, 1980. And this 19 concert streak ties the 19 concert streak that ran from November 30th to April 25th of 2019. Anything more to report about the tour? Yes, indeed. I caught up with our listener John Olson from Virginia. Ah,、uh, yeah. I know John. This is how he described the final show at the Anthem in D.C. He said that Dylan is singing stronger than he has in a bunch of years. He asked, though, why is a band crammed into the back third of the stage, lit by underfoot light panels from below? And he asked, Why does Bob stay almost that far back as well, only venturing halfway out when stepping away from his piano? Does it have anything to do with the, what looked like, Sennheiser microphones on each corner front of stage? He asked if Dylan played harmonica at all during this tour, to which the answer is no, he did not. And lastly, John remarked that sitting with his head down just before and as the band started in melancholy mood, Dylan looked like a prize fighter waiting for the bell. It was totally awesome. Thank you, Miss Lucy, and thank you, John Olson, for your observations. Maybe you can reimburse me now before. And that's all the news this week from the world of Bob Dylan. Hell, wait, hell, come back! Okay, now, okay, Miss Hall. Not to say, okay, that is on the wall. Say it to me. If you got something to confess, well, I heard all about it. He was going down slow. I heard about it on the wildest radio. Down in the boondocks, way down in Key West. Well, I'm a soldier for love. An inspiration. I'm that pirate radio station coming in from Luxembourg. I believe that radio signal just as clear as can be. I'm so deep in love I can hardly see. 
down on the bottom, way down in the Key West. Key West is the place to be if you're looking for a mentality. Look us up by googling Hard Rain and Slow Trains, or searching for us at Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or your favorite podcasting app where you can listen to all of our back episodes. Two and a half years of shows, one a week, that aim to present to you the music of Bob Dylan and his fellow travelers in enriching new contexts. To share a little something about the musicians who played with Dylan, to offer you something worth thinking about concerning the music, and to do so in a way that keeps you engaged. If you listen to us on a podcasting app, consider writing a review. If you are on Twitter, drop us a line at Rain Trains. It's always wonderful to hear from listeners. And if you have some discretionary income, please consider supporting the show by looking up Hard Rain and Slow Trains at Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. You can support the show with $3 a month, $10 a month, or $30 a month to help cover the expenses of producing the show. Doing so not only keeps the show going, but unlocks articles about the episodes and playlists for each episode so that you can have more details about the music and other audio that we play. The show remains free and a labor of love done for KEPW, a nonprofit radio station, but the price of just one cup of coffee a month helps to defer costs, which do mount. Down in the flatland, way down in the 
under the sun, under the radar, under the gun. You say to the left, then you move to the right. Once again, for Who Did It Better? This is your chance to vote for whose version of the song of the week you think is better.
Last week on Who Did It Better, we asked you to tell us which version of When I Paint My Masterpiece is better. Dylan's version from the concert film Shadow Kingdom from earlier in the year, or his live version from Philadelphia on November 30th, less than two weeks ago. And with 53% of the vote, a very narrow majority of you told us that you preferred the live Philadelphia version from November 30th. I kind of like asking you which of two Bob Dylan versions you prefer. It tends to remove the pro-Bob Dylan bias that affects these polls. So let's do it again. This week for Who Did It Better, we are going to ask you which version of Gotta Serve Somebody is better live. The Trouble No More version from Disc 2 of Bootleg Series Volume 13, from Bod Seberg on July 15th, 1981, or the final live version of this year from the Anthem Theater in Washington, D.C., last Thursday, December 2nd. Forty years separate these two versions, and each emphasizes different rhythms. Also, each features substantial lyrical variation, and the lyrics of both are also quite different from the recorded version that appeared on Slow Train Coming just two years before the Bod Siegberg version. This has been a song where Dylan has had fun customizing the lyrics from town to town, although the couplet, you might be in Las Vegas having lots of fun, hiding in the bushes, holding a smoking gun, that he has been singing the last few years is hardly funny after the 2017 mass shooting in Las Vegas. I know we just featured Gotta Serve Somebody this past summer in our August 19th episode, Horny Dylan, Bob Dylan's Use of Horns Part 2, but that Who Did It Better asked you to vote between Dylan's rehearsal version with horns from 1979 and Aaron Neville's version, both of which are quite different from these two live versions, neither of which feature horns. Listen to the 1981 Bob Siegberg version and the 2021 Washington, D.C. version. Then go to our Twitter page at Rain Trains and tell us which version is better.
Go to our Twitter page to vote and tell us which live version of Gotta Serve Somebody by Bob Dylan is better. The one from 1981 or the one from 2021? Stay tuned to KEPW for Deadish, Searching for the Sound, where Jeff will be featuring Kimok for two hours. Some from last Saturday night in Denver. In honor of Zero's forthcoming performance at the Wow Hall here in Eugene in February. What do you think of the uh, Every Grain of Sand? That ended out the show. Uh, I think that was a great choice. Did that come in in the third show? Or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's easy to say, well, these songs, you know, all of them have, in their place have a message. And I don't know, but it's, it's a good song. Mm-hmm. And it says important things. And whether that's the remaining message you're going to be left with and carry out, you know, who knows. But it, it works in that spot, and it's one of his greatest songs. And it was a good choice for whatever reason it came to be put in there. We'll go out tonight the way Dylan's last 19 concerts concluded, with band introductions and every grain of sand. Like early Roman kings and gotta serve somebody from this episode, this version of every grain of sand is also from the final concert of the tour in Washington, D.C. from last Thursday. Check out how in the band introductions, Dylan mentions the Mayflower Hotel, where J. Edgar Hoover ate breakfast and dinner every day. He jokingly called them the good old days. He mentions the neighborhood of Pentagon City and says he used to travel to D.C. to listen to the country gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, from last Thursday night, Bob Dylan. Well, thank you, everybody. For myself, thank you for the band as well. Nice to be here in D.C. I'm in the Mayflower Hotel. Pentagon City. Mayflower Hotel. I don't know. Jay Edgar Hoover used to eat breakfast and dinner there every day. That's the good old days. You know where I used to come down here to see uh, country gentlemen. Anybody remember them? Charlie Wilder, Don. Charlie Wilder and uh, Don Duffy. Anyway, on the drums tonight, is Charlie Drayton. And uh, Doug Lansing is playing on the guitar. And so is Bob Red. And Donnie Hill is on the steel guitar. Tony Garnier is playing on the bass guitar. Thank you.
Mann kann verstehen. Er ist auch ein Mann, die wissen nie Hügel. Bei der Produktion ist man nicht mal viel. Von der Revenue von C. Das ist ein neuer Boss mit der B. Reaching out somewhere. Falling in the danger. I hear the ocean 
Just like every word. 